Hello and welcome to BWB Extra, where we get to know English MC and media personality Rodney P a little better. We hear how Rodney's music career started through a lucky break with seminal UK hip-hop group London Posse, a foursome assembled specifically to tour support Mick Jones of The Clash, and how that led to Rodney becoming an acclaimed solo artist and to being dubbed the godfather of UK hip-hop. We also hear Rodney's frank views on the state of the music industry, the public perception of hip-hop, UK politics, and why being arrogant in business is sometimes necessary. Let's wind the clock right back. Okay. To, to much younger Rodney. Much, much younger. Much younger. How did you end up doing what you're doing? You told us earlier when you were at school, you had no idea what you were going to do. Completely by accident. You fell over and became a rapper. Pretty much. No, I mean, hip-hop came to the UK. Came in various times, but the main, the main time the culture came to the UK was when Malcolm McLaren did Buffalo Girls, which is another really successful record, Top of the Pops again. And um, off the back of that, everyone started breakdancing, body popping, you know, all the, all the doing the graffiti, putting the tags up on the walls differently to how it was done before. Yeah. And I got involved in that. I was a break dancer. I was a body popper. I had a graffiti tag. I was terrible with all of it. Rubbish. <laughs> Completely rubbish. But then the rapping, there was rapping. So I got into the, the rapping part. I thought like, oh, well, I can do this. This, this. this part I can do. But it was purely as fun and hanging out with my friends. Were you, were you a quiet, shy kid at the time? Or you were... Relatively. Quite... Relatively. Yeah. Relative. You were writing poetry already? No, I'd already been writing poetry, but when I started rapping, it was something else. Yeah, right? yeah. So now, now I've got, you know, it's Americans, I've got my American swagger and my, my hip-hop swagger and my Adidas trainers and my Kango hat. It's, the, the energy's different from writing poems, you know? And, um, but like I say, the, the idea of having a career doing this was unimaginable. Like, this is, this is never going to be my job. This is just something I do with my friends. And then... One of my friends, a guy named Sipo, rest in peace, he was a really talented, what you call a human beatbox. He had a connection with, um, he knew Don Letts and he knew Mick Jones because they had seen him on a video performing and had contacted him because they were, they had a, a lot of my mindset about music comes from them. Mm. They were very much into collaboration and, and, and helping, you know, the artists coming up behind them get a foot up. So when The Clash had disbanded, um, Joe Strummer and Mick Jones had fallen out. The Clash had disbanded. And then Mick Jones, he was the guitarist in The Clash. Um, what was his song? Should I stay or should I go yeah. now? Right, that's Mick Jones' song there. They've started a new band called Big Old Dynamite. So that's Don Letts and Mick Jones. Don Letts is like a famous, he was a photographer and a club yeah. promoter and a DJ, and he was like Bob Marley's tour guide when Bob Marley was in England. He's a very well-connected guy. And so they've started this new band. They've said, we're going on tour, and they invited Sipo to go on the tour with them. So he had gone on tour with them in 19, maybe 84, I think. And so the next year had come around, and they have invited him again. But they've said, now this, you know, put together a show, invite some of your friends. So Sipo has come to us and said, you know, there's this possibility we... It's this opportunity. So we've all gone to Mick Jones's house and he's got a studio set up in his basement. So we've just, How old are you at this point? I'm like, 
I've just left school, so I'm 17. Yeah, I'm okay. 17 then. And it, 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 we weren't aware of it, but I guess we were kind of in the midst of an audition. So we're just there partying, freestyling, doing our little raps and, you know, and off the back of that, we got on t- invited to go on tour with them. Wow. God, luck is sometimes the biggest yeah, thing. Yeah, um, when I say I fell into it, it's a complete accident. If I wasn't there to see Sipo that day, I wouldn't have been on that tour. There's another guy, he was a, another UK hip-hop artist, MC Mello, who was supposed to come and couldn't come because he had to go to work. And, and, oh, and, no. I didn't meet Jimmy Page because he had to go to work. Right, I was annoyed he, about yeah, it. Yeah, like he had, a, he had a successful career, but it was never, he, he, it was never what we were because we had that first step, you know? So that's kind of how I fell into it. It was, I fell into wow. it. The very first show I ever did was on stage at that tour. You bastard. You just skipped all the shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were yeah. just like left at the traffic lights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. wow. We just, and, and that was it. And I mean, we did that. And we never had a record deal then. So we're doing all of this. We haven't got a record deal. We've never had a record out. And we don't know what we're doing on stage because we've never put together a show before. But we just went and, and winged it. And it was the passion and the love that we had for it. And also, remember, we're doing hip-hop. And we're doing hip-hop to a 95% UK white audience. This is the UK tour, of This course. is the UK, UK tour. And yeah. the first tour was the UK tour. Who like, they're like, they're into punk rock and rock. And, but we as London Posse had already decided that we don't want to rap in fake American accents. We want to do it in our UK accent. So they really related to that. So we got a really good response from them when at the time the UK hip-hop scene didn't really like us. Because yeah. we no longer sounded American. We wanted to sound like we it were is, from England. It is so, I mean, I know it's so hard for everyone to understand, but I, I, I'm old enough to be listening to hip-hop to remember the sort of transition yeah. and how difficult it was to listen to someone rapping English. It's so weird, the yeah. brainwashing. Yeah, it was, so it was we, we were very much a, not the norm at all. So it was, it was white rock and punk audiences had a much clearer understanding of what we were trying to do than the UK hip-hop audience, which was... 95% black and, and the punk and rock audience was 95% white. So we, we were kind of in this quandary, but we made it work. Now, I mean, now, as, as Andy said earlier, I'm considered the godfather of UK hip-hop. I don't accept that title because I know how much work was put in before me. But, you know, now it's the norm. If you come out as an English artist with a fake and American accent, people will laugh at you. But it took years to get there. Yes. But I think a godfather is an appropriate title, given bridge builders, given where, because it means more than you. It's like, yeah, I think you translate it as I'm not the original OG. You know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, you know. But to be fair, um, you know, there's a, there's, and a paternal is actually quite a horrible word, but there's a nice aspect to sort of, you know, may, maybe, you know, maternal is a nicer word, but, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a care, there's a godfather, you know, godfather isn't all negative. It's quite, yeah, it's quite no, a nice, I don't think it's, I don't think it's negative at all. It, like, it depends whether you're thinking of godfathers as somebody's godfather or you're thinking horses' heads in bed. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's... Wait, well, he does both, yeah, there is Barry, that. You, there you is, know, there don't there talk politics on the chat. Oh, we're gonna have some fucking horses' heads going up. No, I think I think it more comes down to the fact that for me, I've just been here through the generation. Yeah. I, so yeah. So I was part of the first generation that was putting out music, and I'm still here in 2023. That that's that's there's not many people that can say that they've been here for that stretch of time and worn as many different heads within the scene. I mean, lyrically, I wanted to take it away from being a London thing. Yeah, yeah. Like because like, like hip hop was very London centric. Mm. If you came. Us being artists and having London accents was hard enough. 
if you come from Bristol or Manchester or Liverpool or mm. with these, it was like almost impossible. So, um, yeah, the, the dedication, I, I, I felt like it was important that we, we represent the fact that there is a UK scene. It's not a London scene. It's not just a local Covent Garden scene, but there was a, a UK scene. And that's, that, that's why the opening line was what it was. You never knew about us English kids. It's not us London kids. It's, you know, uh, so it's very, so it's UK. Actually, and actually that's true because I, I come from just Western London. You're right. It opens it up as a, as, as a thing. Yeah. I don't think Windsor's really a big Slough. Slough, Slough is, is my hometown. You know, <laughs> uh, ever since they changed our area code to Slough, my mum almost died. We were just outside Slough. <laughs> anyway, you know, yeah. poor Slough. Do you have a long-term goal? I just want to be happy, man. That's it. I mean, again, I'm of an age where I have no desire to be front and center. I do like festival season still. You still I'm, enjoy it? I love festival season. I'll be, I'll be on the road for the festival season. But um, it's funny because just just two days ago, a friend of mine, I, I spent all of January and, and the beginning of February in Jamaica. My mum passed last year and I've been trying to find her birth certificate so I can apply for a Jamaican passport and that dual citizenship. And that's very much part of my retirement plan. <laughs> you know, I, I, I need to have a space in Jamaica that I can just go to and lay my head and, you know, rest up. So mm. that is definitely the end game for me. And plus a lot of what I do now, I don't need to be in England to do it. These Italian firm we've worked with for years, oh, Marco, big up Marco and the team. Anyway, they're such a funny lot. Turned up here and it's really nice to see him. And then he was like, you know, he's fucking asking me passports to the airport. He says like, London's colder. People aren't as nice in London. And I was, I, I was like, look, man, I'm really sorry about Brexit. And we were terribly embarrassed about it. And I'm sorry about the passport <laughs> thing. But we ain't fucking colder. That's bullshit. No, you are. You are. And do you think, do you think, I've heard this from other people, all oh, the atmosphere's changed. Do I think London is, what, since Brexit or generally in since Europe? Since Brexit has become a colder place, you know, I think, a nastier I, place. I do think so. Yeah, I you do. You do think? I think Brexit, in and of itself, was very divisive. Oh. Mm. It was. And I think it's just the culture war is being stoked. Yeah. Deliberately uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, don't think, I don't think it's an accident. I think there's a lot of it is, is on purpose. I saw, I saw a report today before I left out of my house. No, I'm, in fact, it was a post, but it was a clip from Question Time. I'm a Question Time. I don't really watch the news, but I do like Question, question Time. Question Time's great. Because it's opinions from people around the country. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. What he was talking about was that as it stands at the moment, and it, I guess it will be for a while, the Conservative Party for the next election can't really stand on their record. They can't win. Right. Surely they're not going to well, win. Well, I mean, and, and part of what we're seeing now is the divisive tone of... They've got Suella to find Braverman. something to stand on that isn't, yeah. we've fucked it up for 13 years, vote for us. Yeah, exactly. So how do you do vote that? Vote for fear. Vote, vote for fear. Vote for us against them. Instead of voting for, look at what we've done, because you can't vote on that, because... Like everything's tanked, so it's more a case of let's let's stand against the invaders. Yeah, you know, it's very much that attitude. And, and the line of yes, we fucked it up for thirteen years, but if Labour get in, they'll fuck it up worse. even more. Yeah. If you look up any Conservative MPs on Twitter, they don't have the word Conservative anywhere in their bios. It's like it's almost like it's become it's so like freaking toxic. But they word. just describe themselves as MPs, and there's <laughs> right? no 
reference to the fact that they're Tories. I only share a shred of lighting that I end on. It's, I think it's good that a non-white person made prime minister. I mean, you know, no other European country's done that, I don't think. I'm not really aware of it, you know. And, I, and I, first minister of Scotland. I mean, India went bananas. I work with loads of Indians and they just fucking... And, and I like saying, because they, you know, I'm like, I know, you know, I really feel now, isn't that mad, like, full circle? We did all these shitty things and everything, but now you run our country, you know, it's yeah, kind of Yeah, I like, mean, I, I, see, I see what you're saying. In terms of the window dressing of it. I think the same with Barack Obama. I think politics is generally fucked. And whoever stands at the head of the tree or who is the face you see as the leader of any particular political party generally is already been bought and is mm. in a position mm. to sell somebody else's narrative. So I was over the moon when Barack Obama got voted president of America, but not because I thought he was going to do anything that was going to affect my life in a better way just because I thought lots of little black girls and black boys will think I could be president. And it's the same with Rishi Nisuna. Yeah. I think he's a complete cunt. But I understand the narrative and what the picture looks like. And you've got to give thanks for that. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark, straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. What's the most misunderstood thing about being a rapper? Uh, I, think, I think most people think that no, not most people. People outside of the culture think that rap is all about sex and drugs and guns and women and gold chains and, you know, name brand clothing. And I think that's such a small part of what the culture is actually about. And actually, it wasn't the culture that promoted that to the front. It was the, the business and the industry that pushes that to the mm. front. The culture has always been about so much more. The culture of hip-hop, which is what I'm part of. I'm not, I'm not a rap music fan. I'm part of the hip-hop culture. And that teaches you about, you know, self-worth, art, dance, creativity. And, you know, it's about so much more than just taking yeah. pictures in, a, in pretty clothes and gold chains. It's so much more than that. That's such a, a tiny piece of what the hip-hop culture is about. But rap music, as it's being promoted today, is pretty much about that, which is a shame because it has a lot more to offer. And there are so many artists who are making incredible music that if you're not part of the culture, you'll never hear. You'll mm -hmm. never hear that narrative. There's so many people within hip-hop culture who have nothing good to say about the way rap music is promoted and the, and the messages that rap music gives to our young people in terms of the negativity the, the, the gun crime and the violence and the, the willingness to do anything for money. That's not what really hip-hop culture represents. That's what commercial rap music represents. And they're two completely different things. Yeah, I mean, and, and this, if you listen to the poetry, there's so much advice in there. You know, it's like, what's the difference? Why do I like, you know, I love rock music. I love soul music. You know, but what's, what, what do I get out of hip-hop? I don't get out of there. Someone's got a fucking enough time to put in enough words they can tell me it's all sorts of shit you know it's like audio books on steroids what do you think the biggest problem facing the music industry is the biggest problem for the artist or for the industry I think the industry has a problem with not being able to control the artist anymore mm. like the, the industry used to have it all boxed off they were the absolute gatekeepers you are not getting in unless we say you can in terms of getting your record out getting radio, getting your video played, any of that stuff. All of that has been erased. So the industry's struggling with finding new ways 
to attach themselves yeah, to what's to going keep on. control. And they started with the 360 record deals where we get piece of all of your earnings, mm-hmm. not just your record sales. You know, so that's the, the industry's problem. For the artists, their problem now is being able to find and keep an audience because, as you said earlier, it's oversaturated. It's so easy for someone to find a, get a piece of comp- equipment. You probably got a computer already. I can make a record on my laptop. Mm. You know, it's you know a kid to make a record in their bedroom, have it online in the next hour. But there's 22 million people just did that in the same hour, and so how do you find your audience and maintain your audience? And, and, and especially enough to say, this is my career now, you know? And there's lots of people who have been able to do it. A lot of it is, is luck. Going viral is oftentimes luck. Or, and I don't even know if I should say this, but a, a lot of the most successful underground music artists have come to the table who, who work with major labels and stuff, but they've come to the table with illicit earnings. So they've made money in lots of other ways. Yeah, it's always been part, yeah, part and, of music. But, yeah, and then they've put it into their career. So mm. I've been selling drugs for the last five years. I now have £750,000. I'm going to spend £250,000 on it just on the PR for me as an artist. Mm. And so I'll be able to navigate this new technology that we have and find this audience and keep them, you know? And then when I have to talk to these major record labels, they're going to have to talk to me proper because I'm already streaming a million streams a week. My, my bank account is already wow. doing well. If you want to talk to me, you're going to have to talk to me. Sounds proper. remarkably like money laundering at this point. I know oh, it's it illegal. Is. Yeah. It's, it's been the reality for as long as we can remember. Like, but, now, but now even more so, because the record labels have lost control of the industry in the way we said, these artists who do have this, this, this disp- disposable money can now really use that for their own gain. Yeah, it's mad. And, and they are. A lot of the times, to my mind, I'm definitely not condoning criminal behaviour. But for a lot of these kids, it's a way out of that criminal behavior. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm not one of these people who say, well, yeah, you know, Jewel's great. Although they're talking about killing each other, it's a way for them to get out. No, I don't believe that. If you want to get a way out, you, you get out. If you know better, you do better. So if you're struggling to get out, why are you then influencing the people behind you to get into what you're trying to get out of? Yeah, like, yeah. I come from the era of Lakim Shabazz and Public Enemy and KRS-One when we used to wear African pendants and we felt really proud and we were, you know, upful and thinking about the future well, and what it could be. was the first strong message that came first out of hip-hop. First strong message. And these were strong male messages. For, so for someone like me who had no male parent in the house, these were really like, important moments for me. So I know how influential the messages in the music can be just in terms of affecting your mindset. Like it was the music that sent me to the library to look up certain books and to study certain things. So I also know that the power of the negativity in the music is just as strong. And if you're feeding the kids negative messages and negative images and and diminishing their self-worth every day, it has exactly the same effect. And I think a lot of this music that's being released now does that. It does that. What's been your biggest fuck-up? Just as as a broad answer, I would say my biggest fuck-up was expecting people to be like me and to think the way I think mm. and to react the way I would react in certain situations. So, like, like I said earlier, I think one of my superpowers mm. <laughs> is being quite a straight-talking person. I don't really have an issue with making you feel uncomfortable if I feel like I'm telling the truth. Like, and and I, I won't say it to, to make you feel uncomfortable, 
But, but if it's a byproduct, if it needs, hey. right? Like if it needs saying, it needs saying. And you discover that not everybody's like a lot of people will. I will happily speak everything that needs to be said about you behind your back. Mm. But we'll never say it to your face. And having the expectations that, well, I'm like this, so everybody must be like this, is a huge fuck up. Don't put the way you think and feel on everybody else because everyone thinks and moves yeah, and acts point. and reacts differently. Yeah, it's a good, it takes a long time to really, because you can only imagine the world from your perspective. Yeah, it's exactly. like trying to imagine, this is, it sounds so egotistical, but trying to imagine the world when you're not there, your yeah. brain does that kind of like, yeah, but, oh, you know. There's, you're right. I mean, I because I will happily tell anybody, everybody, anything about my life. I don't really care. But it took me a long time to work out that some other people don't want people knowing their business. Yeah, absolutely. And get really upset if you'd like tell people things about them. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? This is quite a personal one. Go on. I suffer from epilepsy. Do you really? Yeah. One of the worst bits of advice I was ever given was by a friend. And I was was in the midst of a really serious period in my life and my medication was off. And I was aware of the fact, so it means that sometimes my my speech is a bit slurred. And this person said to me, it's time for you to quit. You should just quit without knowing the backstory, without even asking the backstory. And I was so offended. Yeah. But I didn't bother to defend. I didn't bother to say this. Well, actually, it's just because of this, that or the other. But that was the worst piece of advice I ever got. And I would say that to anybody. Don't let no one tell you to quit nothing. Never. Just you, quit if, them. Yeah. There's, there's, if you feel like you've come to the end of a particular journey and it's time for you to do something else, Feel free to do that. But don't let no one else decide for you that it's time for you to stop. Yeah. Never, never. So very that's the motiva- worst. Very motivational again, isn't it? Again. It's that criticism yeah, thing absolutely. that you're like, fuck you, I'll show absolutely. you. Absolutely, absolutely it was. Absolutely it was. And, and again, it was, a, yeah, it was a real pivotal moment in my life, generally at that time. But that statement stuck with me forever. Uh, what do you think is the uh, best advice you've ever given? <laughs> don't quit. <laughs> <laughs> done. Yeah. Slam dunk. Don't quit. What advice would you have given your younger self? Try not to be so reactionary. Sometimes take a moment, breathe, and have a little bit more faith in the choices you make sometimes. Sometimes back yourself more. That's pretty much what I'm, I think about 90% of people we ask that question to say. Yeah. Uh, and that's not surprising. Have a little in hindsight, bit more faith in yeah, yourself. hindsight teaches you a lot, doesn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, just back yourself a bit. Yeah, it's almost like it feels like arrogance sometimes. There's a funny line between arrogance and confidence. And confidence is, you know, you've almost got to pretend to have confidence initially. Yeah. It's a very yeah. strange game with yourself. But yeah, yeah you know. But I think, I think in, some, in some situations, you have to be arrogant. Because mm. people will try and, and, and pull you apart. So there's confidence. Okay, there's confidence. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying. I'm just firm in who I am. But sometimes you go into a room and people will try and remove that confidence from you. And, and it's like, for me, I'll be now, fuck you lot. Now I'm going to be arrogant. None of you can tell me nothing. Yeah, fuck yeah. the lot of you. I'm the guy. And that's, I'll be completely arrogant about it. I'm the guy. So 
Stop talking, because only my opinion counts. <laughs> That's it. But Americans are quite good at doing that. To, you know, tell you know, be, you know, we, we definitely you've just done it then, and and it's so actually it's a good way of saying it. Yeah, you you got to be arrogant. Be Sometimes ar- you, know. you have to be. Like I'm, I'm generally confident in who I am and what I have to offer. And 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 most times, ninety nine percent of the time, I'll stop there. But sometimes you have to push through that and say, just fuck the lot of you. I'm, I'm the fucking dude. Rodney fucking P. Get to know. When you spill it, spill it right. <laughs> sometimes that has to be that. Sounds, sounds better when you say it. <laughs> get to know. I'm, I'm, I'm Andy Uri. I'm in a very important Slough I'm encounter. I'm fucking Andy Uri. Do, you know, do you know, in Slough, I am a very important tax advisor. <laughs> So that was this week's episode of BWB Extra and we'll be back with a new episode next Tuesday. Until then, it's goodbye.